mindfulness mode. You don't downplay those. They can make a big difference in your life today. Mindful Tribe, I'm sure you have had uh, an opportunity to listen to certain kinds of music that just reached your heart. It inspired you. Music that that just you maybe didn't know why, you had no explanation, but it just spoke to you. Today, I'm honored to be with a man that has had that happen many times through his listeners because he is a composer and so many people have been moved by his music and especially one of his pieces but he has composed many many pieces and his name is Dave Combs. Dave are you in mindfulness mode today? I certainly have. Since I woke up this morning, I have had my mind on mindfulness. (laughs) (laughs) David, such an honor to have you on the show. I'm very excited. Speaking of mindfulness, what does mindfulness mean to you? I think for me, it means staying focused, being in the present, being able to mask out the distractions of the world and to really focus on where you are and not just where you are, but also where you're heading and what direction you're moving and where you want to be. It's, a, it's a really a matter of trying to disciplining, disciplining yourself to be focused and to be able to put yourself in that mode and mood, if you want to think of it that way, practically anytime you want to and have the techniques and tools around you that will enable you to do that. Whether that's you know a, a, a place that you go to or a music that you put on your headset and close your eyes and listen to and all of a sudden the rest of the world's just gone and uh, or whatever you do to put yourself in that that place that is your safe place your 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 calm place your peaceful place where you can concentrate and only good things can come out of that because your you things will become clearer for you and your decisions you're trying to make become easier to make because you're thinking clearly and uh, I guess maybe that's a long-winded way, but that's to me, that's what mindfulness means. Well, it's interesting that you explain it that way because speaking of uh, places you want to be, when I did research and learned about your story, it sounds like for a long time you were living in a place where you really didn't want to be. Can you tell us about that? I hadn't really thought about it that way exactly, but I was 33 years old before I wrote Rachel's song, which is my very first song. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I was in a place where nobody had ever told me, and then I had never told myself, maybe that's more important, I had never even told myself that I could write music. I loved music, I was around music, my family loved music, uh, church, uh, music in church, music in school, music everywhere. Played the piano. I, I strum. I didn't play the guitar really well, but I could play, strum along. But music was a part of my life. But I never told myself, or nobody ever told me, that Dave Combs, you could be a composer or you could write music. So I, I think that's what probably what you're referring to. And it's kind yes. of still it's still a mystery to me. But I, I suppose people sometimes don't realize the impact that you, as a teacher, a parent. Uh, a mentor or a someone that a young kid looks up to, your words can have powerful impacts on their life. Uh, you've read stories about people that were eventually big successful people, but when they were little kids were told that you'll never amount to anything, you'll never go to college, you'll never do this. And for the longest time, that was their their box that they were boxed into. 
And it wasn't until they realized that, hey, I don't, that's what somebody told me. That's not who I really am. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's the aspect of it. So I have determined that when I see a young kid or a person and I see them trying to do something good, I'm going to tell them, you can do great things. You can be anything you want to be. You can be a great musician. You can be a great mathematician. You can be a great teacher, whatever. And plant those seeds in their mind, in their young, as uh, you, someone said, mind's full, brain, uh, skull full of mush. You know, it's all, <laughs> it's all kind of getting formed in there. Yeah. You, you need to plant those seeds in there that are, I, I guarantee you will sprout and someday they'll, they may not remember who told them, but somebody told me you can do X, Y, Z, and they, they end up doing it. Right. Well, you certainly did. And it was, it was <laughs> so interesting reading about you because it sounded like, you know, it was just a moment when that came to you. You, were, you wrote the song, you kept playing it over and over, and other people told you how much it moved them. Tell me how you felt when you first received that message from people. I was really, it was, it was more confirming than surprising, you know, because uh, even though I had, uh, had not gotten anything in the mail from a total stranger prior to that, but I had seen the effect on people when I played the music, even from the very time when I named the song by playing the tune on a piano at a christening service for our godchild, Rachel. I'm sitting there in the church, going through the, the, the christening service at the end of it. I hadn't even planned to do this. There happened to be a beautiful grand piano sitting at the front of the church for the christening service. And at the end of it, I punched my wife, Linda, and I said, hey, you know that song that I've been playing on the piano, we can't think of a name for it, whatever, that we like? I think it fits right here. And so I went to the family and the preacher and asked them if I'd be okay if I played this tune on the piano walked over to the piano, sat down and played it. And it was just the perfect fit for that song. In fact, it brought the audience to, t I could hear sniffles in the crowd and I had tears coming down my cheeks. It was so touching. And at the end of the playing of the song in that little church, I said, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's song in her honor. And that's how it got its name. And it was that, the realizing that the effect that it had on people and it has continued since then, and that was just me playing it. Now you roll forward about three years from that when I, I had it recorded in Nashville, Tennessee as a demo, just for fun, for us and, uh, and the family of Rachel uh, by a professional musician by the name of Gary Prim. Right. Well, I had no idea what I was gonna get, but in the studio, what Gary played, his arrangement of my song, which by the way, was the first time anybody besides me had ever played it. I was blown away because that arrangement sounded as good and as touching as anything I'd ever heard on the radio. And it was just, it blew me away. And, and the same thing happened for anybody that I played it for. They all were just moved by the music, touched by it. And it played on the radio uh, locally by a friend of mine who had a little radio program on Saturdays, a, a big band jazz program, but he snuck in Rachel's song one Saturday morning and caused, oh my, he caused a real ruckus because the, the radio station manager called me that in about uh, half an hour after his program ended. And he said, Dave, I've been in radio over 20 years and I've never seen this happen before. He said, we've got a, a phone bank over here, about do a dozen phone lines. 
And when Rachel's song was played on Bob's radio program this morning, he said, our phone lines locked up. He said, they all started ringing at the same time. People called him on What is that song that you just played? Would you play it again? Tell me more about this Rachel song or this Combs guy in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And so then again, that was just another affirmation, confirmation that that song had deeper meaning than I had originally even imagined. And it, it just took off from there. I, I, I took that, that confirmation from the radio guy that this is really special and I need to do something with it. I got it played on every easy listening station in the United States and I've been probably some in Canada as well. Sure. And, uh, it, it just, that's when I started getting this, this mail from strangers, you know, the people would hear it on the radio and, you know, Kansas or someplace and they'd look, you know, track me down and write me a letter. And I started getting fan mail. And there again, these letters weren't just, you know, I want to, you know, here's a $10 bill or send me a cassette. Yeah. It's, they'd tell me stories of how my music touched them and how, what it meant to them. And I thought, wow, this is powerful stuff. Yeah, it is powerful stuff. Tell us a story and tell us what year approximately was this? This was uh, recorded in 1986, but <laughs> that's a long time ago. It sure is. And uh, it's, it was uh, back before the internet. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. <laughs> we didn't have email, all that. We were just mainly U.S. mail was the way we communicated and lots of easy listening radio stations. We had about 400 of them back then. I think there's yeah. four or five of them maybe left. You're right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it, that was 86. And then it just grew from there. You know, I, I wrote, then I was, I knew I'd written one song and I, people were saying, when are you going to write something else? When are you going to do something else? I want a whole CD. I want an album of that kind of music. So I did. I sat down at the piano, and sure enough, I could write more more tunes. They kind of came wow. really quickly. And so I, by 1988, I had enough to do a whole album of music, and it's Rachel's song. This this is the same album, and it has Rachel's song, of course, on it, but it's yes. other songs that I've written. Then I had a CD and cassette tapes that I could sell to people sure. when they wanted to take it home. And then that just you know, rolled. Of the, I got more and more. Everybody that bought the music, they were wanting. When are you going to do another album? <laughs> yeah. So I, I did. I had to sit down at the piano and wrote more. And I sat down and wrote over 120 songs over the a period of about 15 years, producing an album a year with Gary Prim in the, as the art, artist in Nashville, Tennessee. He, he always would arrange and perform my music. And the albums that we created had the same kind of reception from people that just would write, pour their heart and soul out about how the music had taken them to places. And they didn't know the term mindfulness back then. I don't no. think, I don't, I'm not sure when, who coined that term, but uh, yes. it was, it was the same thing. It, it basically made them able to have peace and calm and some, add some sense to their life. Many people, you know, are living in a very stressful situation whether more than ever life, oh more than ever and the home some people's home lives are absolutely horrendous in terms of the stress yes and when you can offer them something that can help at least in some small way take the bring that level of of stress down a little bit and and have them at least some time of peace and peace and quiet or at least peace and concentration and feeling at ease and safe 
I think it's the safety feeling. You don't, you don't feel like people are at you all the time. Uh, it's that's, that's critical. So I'm over the years that, uh, my music has done that. And that's really my mission for all these podcasts that I'm appearing on is to spread the message about using my music for whatever situation you're in and have it help you if it can. And that's my mission. You know, I'm, I just turned 75 years old, so I'm, I'm not looking to start a career over again, <laughs> but I want to spread the music that I've created around the world even further. Millions of people have heard it now through the benefit of the internet and downloading and streaming, but there's billions of people who haven't. And that's part of my mission is to just spread the word and through platforms like this. And I know you've got a wonderful audience and I'm sure after we're finished now, don't, don't bail out of the podcast right now and go do it, but I, Wait till we're finished, and then you go find, find the music and listen to it. Yeah, and you can find it easily. Rachel's song, it's uh, yeah. very, very easy to find. And, uh, you know, all you have to do is is just log in and search up Rachel's song. And, of course, you can always go to combsmusic.com as well, C-O-M-B-S, combsmusic.com, and that's Dave's website. So definitely do that. Now, Dave... When I first uh, connected with you today, you were telling me about a man, a friend of mine who I've had on the show. And I mean, I call him a friend because we had a great conversation on the show. And he he started Chicken Soup with the Soul, Chicken Soup for the Soul with his partner. And that's Jack Canfield. Tell me about Jack and, and how he resonated with Rachel's song. Well, I was blessed to have spent three days at one of Jack's retreats a year and a half ago. And during that three-day period, I got to know him. He got to know me. We became fast friends, and he loved Rachel's song. <laughs> I never will forget. We went to a break, a, a, you know, kind of a pause in our thing. We were all doing this by Zoom, so it was a virtual retreat. Yeah. And he, uh, after I spoke with him and told him about Rachel's song, he had not heard Rachel's song. But we went for a break, and when we came back, he had gone to iTunes. He had downloaded it, uh, you know, purchased it, downloaded it. And he came back and he says, and I listened to that song twice in a row. He said, that is powerful stuff. He said, that is such a wonderful piece of music. And, and before the three days were over, he said, you know, he told me, he said, first of all, he encouraged me to write my book about all these stories about my music. But he said, I, if with your permission, he said, I'd love to use Rachel's song as the, as people come into my seminars about where he talks about mindfulness and being in the present and, and all those guidance things that he, he teaches people. He said, I want to use this music as part of my seminar. I said, well, you, you have my blessing, so please do. And he, he's, he has. And over, he, we became such good buddies over those three days that he, after I wrote my book, I sent it to him, and he loved my book. And he said, uh, I said, would you be, I'd be so honored if you'd write the forward to my book. And he said, I'd be happy to. So when you read my book, you'll read the forward by Jack Canfield. And I'm so pleased and honored that he did that. He's, he's, he's just a wonderful person. I can't say enough good things about Jack Canfield. Well, absolutely. And your book is called Touched by the Music, How the Story and Music of Rachel's Song can change your life. And what a beautiful book that that is. And tell us, what was the goal that you had when you set out to write that book? To basically put down in writing all these wonderful, inspiring stories. I have, I have found that, I, you know, I did a lot of, not big public speaking. I'm not a public speaker in that 
form. I never did you know, try to make a living in public speaking, but I've spoken to a lot of groups, you know, whether it's, you know, a social club, you know, Kiwanis club, those kind of events. And I always know that my, it seems that my stories that I tell about the, how, how my music was written and the, the progression from one song to 220, from one album to 15 albums and over a period of all these years, that's been over 41 years that I've written Rachel's song. A lot of things happen. And those stories along the way tend to each one of them has a little nugget of a lesson learned in them or something where somebody gets something out of it. And it was those lessons and those little inspirations that people had told me over the years, wow, you need to write that in a book. Well, guess what? The pandemic comes along and what do we all have to do? We're at, we're sitting at home <laughs> and you can't go to, you can't even go to the grocery store. You got to <laughs> order your groceries in. So my wife and I are sitting there and she says, you know, <laughs> I think it's time that you write that book. <laughs> what else are you going to do? <laughs> so Linda, with her encouragement and I sat down writing down all these stories and, and that was the impetus for writing the book. And now uh, what I found is that the stories and the book has motivated people to go over now to my website. And actually you can write in the middle of my homepage, you can click play Rachel's song. You don't have to go anywhere else. You just go there and play it. But to have people listen to my music and have more people to be touched by, and my wife came up with the title, this touched by the music. She's been calling my stories that forever. So that's my wife, Linda's title, but it really does touch people. And that's the, that was the motivation to write the book. And I'm so glad I did because I published it last October of 2021. And it was an Amazon bestseller in several categories. And it's just, it's done well. And I think it's a good compliment to my music. I still, in my mind, my music is the top layer of everything that I'm about. I'm not touting myself as an author mainly. I am a music, my music is what I'm trying to, to leave as my legacy, really, because I think my music, so I think, has it's evergreen, as they say these days. It, it has legs. It, it'll, 100 years from now, I hope that people will still be listening to Rachel's song and my other music as well. But it does touch and bless people's lives. I heard from over 50,000 people, Bruce, over the wow. years. 50,000 now. That's unbelievable. And that's, and that's, and Letters, I mean, boxes, physical pieces of paper. I've got boxes in my basement full of these letters. And anytime I want to be inspired or, or pumped up or put myself in a positive, real positive mindfulness mode, just pull out a box of those letters and start reading. And, it, and then I better get my box of Kleenex, too, because some of them are really touching. <laughs> I bet they are. So, you know, whether it's the death of a, a loved one that yeah. loved my music and they played Rachel's song all until they expired or passed on to the next world. It's uh, it, those kind of stories or little babies born to my music or, you know, that they played it all during their, their youth. And then this little little tiny baby grows up to be a teenager. And guess what? Their favorite song is Rachel's song. <laughs> yeah, well, I can believe it because, you know, my mom died last month. Yes. And and then I received this email from you or your agent. And, and I, I thought, what is this Rachel's song? I hadn't heard of this. And I listened to it and I, I just felt so inspired and I felt so touched and just so moved by 
it was a combination of the melody and just how that song had its effect on me. I can't describe it. It was just incredible. What do you think is the source of this? Do you have like a theory as to how you've been gifted with this incredible ability to create music that so many people resonate with? Well, I am a Christian and I have a deep faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I really believe that this song was given to me and I simply played it. I was the vehicle for this song being introduced to the world. I, when I can still remember sitting down at that piano that evening in January of 1981 and playing this song. And it's, it's, it's strange, you know, how when you, as a musician, you sit down, you, you know, you'll play whatever song that comes, that you want to play at the, at the moment, that usually it's something somebody else wrote. Sure. I just sat and I played this song. Never changed. It, it was, I didn't have to work at it. I just played it. And it was, and in, in hindsight, I, it had to have been an inspired gift to me because I had, I did not work at it. It was, it was as if it had always existed. And I was just blessed to be the first person to actually play it. Wow, that's a great story. And, and I know you worked for a long time as a computer programmer at a Fortune 500 company. I and, did. And tell us about that life. And did you eventually quit that job and then move on as a full-time songwriter? Yeah, I, I went to college as a math degree and a physics minor. And I worked in the computer center at East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, all four of my years in college. So when I graduated... I had four years experience programming computers. Well, the company was Western Electric. It was part of Ma Bell, the big Bell system back then that right. made everything to do with telephones and your phone calls. Yes. And they hired me as a computer programmer right out of college. And I loved it because it was that's exactly what I loved to do. It's even to this day, I still like messing with with computers and, and everything. I'm a technology nut, I guess you could call. <laughs> so I worked in technology. I, I, I did programming for a couple of years. Then I got moved up in, into management. And But every job I ever had dealt with technology. And uh, it, it was ironic. I was thinking about this the other day. It is so ironic. And probably it's, it's probably one of those God winks that God did. <laughs> it's one of those, he put this in place. Yes. One of the places that I was having to travel to in my job at Western Electric was Nashville, Tennessee. Right. I was putting in software in a factory in Nashville, working there during the week. And that was when my wife, Linda, says, well, while you're in Nashville, why don't you get a demo recording made of Rachel's song? I said, oh, it's a great idea. Yeah. So make a long story short, I did. I found a, went that one evening and I found a studio and and the, the person I met in said, do you need to get in touch with Gary Prim? And he's the he's a great musician that'll do a great job for you. He gave me his phone number. I called him and we lined it all up. And on August the 22nd, 1986, Friday evening at 6 p.m., I'll never forget it. I met Gary Prim at this tiny little studio in downtown Nashville to record the demo of Rachel's song. And what I heard Gary create in that studio absolutely blew me away because I had never been in a studio. I had never heard of uh, any other musicians play Rachel's song but me. Mm -hmm. had no idea what to expect. But what I got out of that recording that night from Gary Prim changed my life because what he created of my music 
basically is the same demo recording that you're going to hear when you push play Rachel's song on my website has not been changed. No, no remixing. No, that was the demo recording. And everybody that I played that recording for just absolutely loved it. I mean, they just couldn't get enough of it. Got it played on the radio. Same thing happened. People started calling the radio stations from all over the country, yeah. tracking me down. I started getting fan mail from every, all around the country. And it just, the song took on a life of its own. And I realized that this song was meant to touch people's lives. Yeah. And I can't wow. tell you how many of those 50,000 letters are so special. And I had uh, three or four people attributed that my music for saving their life. Wow. You know, there were people, I, I suppose they were near suicide or whatever. And for whatever reason, this music saved their life. I had alcoholics that wrote me and told me that, that my music helped them maintain their sobriety. It gave them a, a peace, enough peace that they could finally get a good night's sleep. Apparently, sleeplessness is a huge side effect of alcoholism. Yes. And so my music apparently just calmed that down. And well, anyway, it's just those things were just such a, a blessing that was amazing that eventually when I got my music sold through gift shops, big box stores wouldn't have anything to do with me. I could not sell my music the normal way. I had yeah. to create my own way of selling my music. So I found gift shops that would yes. play it and people would hear it and buy it. That and was the way it. it. Yep. And that was the way it was kind of an impulse buy. And I ended up with over a thousand gift shops all over the whole country playing and selling my music. And along that way up to the two uh, the thousand gift shops by 1992, I was able to quit my job at AT by then it was called AT&T. Yeah. Quit my job and do nothing but my music from then on. Wow. So it, and now you've written 120 songs and recorded yeah. 15 albums, 15 albums of incredibly beautiful, mindful, soft, soothing, relaxing instrumental music. I mean, how does that feel having created so much music that people all over the world are, are inspired by and are, are feeling more grounded with? It is, it's as I said, it's confirming, affirming, and it's gratifying. I just, I, I sometimes pinch myself that when I, well, sometimes I'll turn on the radio, whether it's Bible, BBN, the Bible Broadcasting Network or whatever, and they'll be playing one of my songs on the radio, even today. And it's that feeling of realizing that this is it's totally out of my control now. It's out there and it's just so gratifying. And yeah. it's, you know, it's not an ego thing. It's not like, oh, well, there's my music on the radio. Come here and listen to this. No, it's, it's just so, it, it's, a, it's that feeling inside you that you know you have done the right thing and are doing the right thing. Yeah, and I can tell it's not an ego thing. I absolutely can. You know, like you're, you're one of the most down-to-earth people. You know, I think, wow, we have so much in common. We grew up in a farming community, and I was a church musician for many, many years, and I know you did that as well. As we move forward in our interview today, Dave, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So the first sure. one is this. First one is, who is one person in your life that has given you a level of mindfulness or inspired you to just be that centered, mindful person that you are today? Well, it's a combination probably of people, and a lot of them are some people I have never met. 
but mm -hmm. it's through the books that I've read. Uh, I'm sure you've read a lot of those, you know, the power of positive thinking, uh, the magic of thinking big. Uh, there's the Maxwell Maltz's uh, Psycho Cybernetics, all these wonderful books about how to think about your realizing that your mind can control your body and, and more than you ever realize. So I, to, for me, it's a really a combination of those people that I was fortunate enough to be suggested, well, you need to read this book or sure. that book. So those authors, I think, are a big part. Now, when it comes to music, you know, there are a lot of people that have influenced me with my music, but one that comes to mind is John W. Peterson. Okay. Are you familiar with his cantatas that he wrote back in the 60s and 50s? Uh, he was from, he, he uh, worked out of Chicago, I think, okay. mainly with the Singspiration group, but uh, his cantatas were just so impactful on my life in church. And I, as a choir director, I eventually conducted, I think, every cantata he ever wrote. And uh, I got to meet him in person before he passed away. Wow. He invited, he and his wife invited me and my wife to their home in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I spent probably an hour or so with, with John W. Peterson, my hero of music. He was wow, just incredible. Was, you know, I got to meet the man. I got to play Rachel's song on his piano in his home. Wow. What a, what a privilege that was. So. What an amazing experience. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing. Tell us about your emotions and how, how mindfulness and, and working in this field of mindful music, how has that changed either your emotions or how you deal with your own emotions? Well, uh, when I need to uh, basically relax and calm down and become in a mindful mode, I'll sit at the piano. That's yeah. that's my mechanism. Some people will, you know, go to their quiet place and close their eyes and say their mantras or whatever they do. I sit at the piano. And sometimes I don't even play a, a tune. I'll just play a chord. And the piano, I love my Steinway Grand Piano. It has a wonderful sound up here in my, my family room. And mm -hmm. I'll just play a chord. And that grand piano, it will sound for about a minute before the sound completely dies away. And there's something about paying attention and, and trying to say, do I still hear that zone? You know, you're, you're, you're hearing it fade away. Yes. And as you're doing that, I don't know what it does. It just does something to you to just center you and, and help you focus. I totally agree that it does. Yes, I I have a grand piano myself, and I you know a small baby grand mm -hmm. piano, yeah. and I and I just feel the same way. I just sit down and play it and relax, and it just gives me that peace and that feeling of being grounded. I want to ask you about breathing because a lot of people on my show we talk about breathing and how that affects you, and whether you have a certain way of deep breathing when you want to relax even more. Do you have any comments? to share with us about breathing? Well, I do know that the, uh, I've read a lot about the, the power of slowly exhaling. Yes. You, know, you can and just slowly breathe out. That will help. It'll bring your heart rate down and help bring your blood pressure down. And you know, a lot of us these days have our Apple watches and it yes. has a breathe function on there where it, right. it will guide you as you inhale and you exhale in a very slow rhythm. And that does help, uh, I think it helps you relax and, and focus and become more mindful, yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, uh, you know, your book is wonderful, Touched by the Music. Are there any other books, specific books, that you would mention to our listeners that has had a, a profound effect on you in the area of mindfulness? Well, I, I can't. I, I have. I always keep this book right by, by my side. You, you're probably familiar yes, with this. I am book very by familiar. My, by with our, our dear friend Jack yes. Canfield. Yeah. To me, this is like the Bible of success and the principles. And there's so much of this in this book that talks about mindfulness and things related to mindfulness. And if somebody wants a PhD in how to succeed in life, this is probably you take this in the Bible, and I think you're all set for life. So, <laughs> right, the but success that, principles by Jack Canfield. What a fantastic book! It is. Yeah. And there's another little book here that I think is really good. I, you, have you read this little book? I have by, not. No. It, it's by Squire Rushnell, and okay. I haven't met him. I'm not. He, I'm not plugging his book for any reason. It's except that it's meant a lot to me. But it's when God winks. He came up, he coined the term God winks. Mm -hmm. And the whole book is about these wonderful little stories about things that happened in people's lives that in hindsight could never have been coincidence. And so he calls them God winks. And so I, in my, my book, I cite a number of instances where I had had my share of God winks, things that happened that I couldn't have planned it. If, if I had tried, I couldn't have planned it any better. And so those, that's a great little book for inspiring you to, to look at your life a different way and look at the things in your past that have happened and realize that there's a greater power than yourself that is, is moving you in the right direction. And sometimes you just have to be mindful and in tune to what you should do and the direction you should go and listen. And sometimes <laughs> listening is kind of a funny thing. You, you, uh, when you're looking for inspiration and guidance, you know, like if you really have a tough decision to make, you'd, you'd like to have somebody help you say, Lord, yeah, you've made the right decision or this is exactly what you need to do. And sometimes that's, that doesn't, just doesn't happen the way you think it's going to. I remember the day that I was trying to decide when do I quit my job at AT&T. You know, leaving a, a Fortune 500 company after 22 years that was a huge decision. I was I'm walking sure away was. from a career where if I stayed there, you know, 25, 30 years and whatever, I'd have a great retirement and all this benefits and everything. But here I was, 22 years old. My music was taken off like a rocket. And I was trying to decide how will I know when it's the right time to, to turn in my resignation and just stop working at, at AT&T. And I was sitting at church one Sunday morning and I realized that week I had gotten a letter from a, a fan who didn't know me. I didn't know him. All he said was, Dave Combs, writing music is what God puts you on this planet to do. Signed his wow. name. Wow. And I thought, and I almost laughed at myself and loud to sit there in church. And I, because I had always been praying for, you know, send me a sign. Let me know. I was expecting a burning bush or a bolt of lightning. I don't know what I was expecting, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I, I was chuckling to myself because I had gotten mailboxes full of these kind of letters. And I said, oh, Lord, you must think I am the densest Christian on this planet. You've sent me 2,000 letters telling me what I, do, I need to do. And I hadn't been even thinking that that was you talking to me. Yeah. And so I really, I just, I said, okay, I got it now. That next, that Monday morning, 
I lined up lunch with my boss, handed him my letter of resignation, and I've never looked back. So wow. <laughs> that's such a such a great story. You know, uh, I want to wrap up the interview. I know that as an app, you mentioned the breathing app on your phone, but uh, I want to wrap up the interview by asking you about the mental bank, which I know is something that that we both like to talk about. Tell us about that. Well, it was back in, I think the book was written in 1987, if I'm not mistaken. And when I heard, when my wife and I heard about it, we were intrigued because we had, yes, we'd read all these other books that we were talking about a while ago. And so we were really steeped into knowing that you need to really absorb all these new ideas of how to, how to use your own mind to grow and, and succeed. And this book came out called The Mental Bank. And Linda and I got, we got a copy and we read it and said, well, this year makes a lot, of, it's along the same principles of, of what the mind can conceive and can be, and believe it can achieve. I forget when that, uh, I forget who said that, uh, but somebody really famous yeah. said that. Yeah. And, and it's true. And it so we bought true. the book and it really was, it was so cleverly done. You literally imagined, you sat down and spent your time focusing on what do you want to be? Where do you want to, what do you want to accomplish? And how do you, you know, what do you want your life to look like? And then, okay, what's it going to take for you to get to that point? So the, the thing is, this, the concept was they, they gave you a, a ledger. You literally, you literally wrote in a ledger, you gave yourself a mental bank. Mm-hmm. And in that ledger, you wrote every day all these positive things about where you wanted to be as if they had already happened, not, not wishing for them to happen. And I can remember one of the things I wrote in my mental bank was that I, I received 500 letters in my mailbox today telling me how wonderful my music is. I had never received a letter at all at this point. Oh, wow. And so I, I did this and I've, I received this blah, blah, blah. And my music was re- played on radio stations all over the world. And, and wrote those in my mental bank. And every day I, I repeated this. And, you know, those things actually happened. It was years and years later. But what I wrote in my mental bank, those things, I look back and I can go back and find my ledger. And I, yeah, well, that's it. That happened, you know, two years ago. <laughs> it was just an amazing thing. So the power of your mind and how you conceive and visualize and think positive thoughts about what you want to accomplish, it will happen. Your mind can make it happen. I know that is a, you're, you're also a hypnotist, and so you can help people in that way. It, it's, yes, you're, I can. you're kind of, it's not hypnotizing yourself, but you are really, it's self-talk and self-affirmation and all these affirmations that I know you and I and Jack Canfield certainly believes in all these positive affirmations. And they, they work. It's, they not, do it's work. not a trick. It's not a trick. It's one. If you read the Bible, there's so many things in the Bible. Read the book of Psalms. I think that book of Psalms, and, and it was written by David, my namesake, and my, mm-hmm. my distant cousin, I'm sure. Right. Uh, and, and he played the harp. I, I would love to hear him play the harp. But those Psalms are affirmations and wonderful positive things. And it's just, they're powerful. And uh, I would encourage people, don't downplay those. They can make a big difference in your life today. They sure can. Dave, it's been such an honor. 
It's been such a pleasure to spend this time talking to you. Mindful Tribe, check out combsmusic.com, C-O-M-B-S, combsmusic.com, and definitely listen to Rachel's song. And it will inspire you, I'm sure. And it will, it will give you a level of mindfulness that you will just be so grateful for in the moment. That's what I believe. So Dave, thanks again for being on the show. It's been such a pleasure to be here. And uh, you have a great rest of your day, okay? You do too, Bruce. It's been a real pleasure on my end as well. Thanks. Thanks so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the episode with Dave Combs and, of course, talking about the affirmations and how much difference it can make when you you start to understand that there are these messages going on in your brain that may not be as positive as what we really truly need. And, of course, as you know, I've mentioned this before, and talking about the hypnosis that I do through coaching and hypnosis, I can help with that as well. So if you do feel like you're stuck, if you do feel like you need a little bit of assistance with what's going on to hold you back and keeping you from from doing what you want in life, then reach out. Let's jump on a call. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and we'll jump on a call and talk about what I can do to help out with this. And just in the subject line, put stuck no longer and I will be glad to jump on a session with you and we'll talk about what we can do. So I, I just hope that you got as much out of this episode with Dave as I did. And with that, take what we've learned today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.